I know you're doing better than that. Uh, my name is Scott Mangum. If I haven't met you, I will consider this our introduction. It's nice to meet you. Um, and so uh, Brett is speaking in the main service today. So, so he asked if I would come uh, fill in today. And we're kicking off a new series called The Battle Within. And today, uh, the, the series is really dealing with temptation and kind of what that looks like. And so probably one of the key elements we're going to have here is, is that something we want everybody to really grasp and we're going to want our students to grasp this week is the idea that in every single temptation we face, there's always more at risk than we think. And I think you'll see a theme through here, uh, just that we want to try to, to get our focus from just on the, the actual issue at hand and realize the consequences that can come from different decision making and things of that nature. So uh, just kind of get, get you ready for that. One of the things in preparing for this, we came across a, a study that these scientists had done with, with children. They wanted to see how kids would respond to delayed gratification, if they could understand what that concept was as a child, and then if they, as they grew to teenagers and adults, if they actually changed or if they had those same habits. And so what they did, and it's pretty interesting, they, uh, they brought these kids in to a room and, and basically said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to separate you. So you're going to sit in a room by yourself in a chair and a table. And we're going to bring out these fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. They're like, all right, but here's the catch. If you can sit there and not eat a chocolate chip cookie for 10 minutes, which, you know, for kids, that sounds like an hour, right? You know, hey, you know, I'll just ask you, you know, when are we going to be there? 10 minutes. How long is that? They asked them, for 10 minutes, if you can sit there and not eat that cookie, we'll give you something better. All right, so the kids are sitting there. You can imagine the videos on this. You've got a kid sitting there looking at that cookie and just staring at it. It won't take his eyes off of it. Then there may be another kid, another video that kind of gets closer and smells it, but he didn't touch it, didn't eat it because he knows something good's coming. He's waiting. And then you have another one that's kind of like, I'm going to touch it. Oh, it's soft. It's soft. Takes a little lick, you know, and you're, as parents, you're kind of laughing because you understand that's just how kids are, right? They're, they're kind of they're testing the boundaries. Well, then there was a large group of kids that actually said, what can be better than a chocolate chip cookie? Boom, ate it, done. They didn't want to wait and see what was coming on the other side, right? And I said, I can identify with that. I think I'm a big chocolate chip cookie guy. I probably would have done the same thing. So what's interesting is that as their study went on for about a 20-year period, the same kids that made those decisions to eat or not eat the cookie when they were kids when they were retested in a different type of environment as teenagers, made the exact same decisions. So some waited, thinking, all right, there might be something better coming my way. And others were like, what can be better than what was right in front of me? And so they found that later in life, they kind of follow the same thing as adults. So there's a pattern. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, so Scott, are you starting to tell me that if my kids are screwing up right now, they're going to screw up forever? That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. There's more hope than that, way more hope than that. So Andy Stanley, he also, he also saw, saw this, uh, this experiment, and he wrote, he, he says, well, watch the experiment. He made two observations, and I think they're pretty cool. Uh, the first is that he realized that in the moment of temptation, you don't always recognize that there's more going on than what's happening in that particular moment. They don't realize that there's more happening. 
that there's consequences to some of those decisions. The kid that ate the cookie, they never saw maybe what was better, right? They had no idea what was coming up. And then those that did wait got whatever prize that was, for example. But the second thing that I think is pretty interesting, too, is that it, he says it set this tone. He says the children's willingness to wait or not wait was based on the confidence they had in the researchers if they trusted that what they were saying was real. So the kids that waited had confidence that what was coming from the researchers, the teachers, so to speak, they believed there was going to be something good on the other end, and they were willing to wait for that. Those that went ahead and ate the cookie, they really kind of said, I don't believe it. I believe this is a trick, and why should I wait? I think that happens to us a lot of times as adults, and I think we see that in our children as well, is that we live in a world of convenience, of drive-through, fast-through, got to have it now. I mean, I was at McDonald's this past week. I didn't think about it right now. This past week, uh, coming back from uh, Carlsbad, New Mexico, and it literally took nine minutes to get my meal in the, in, in the drive-through. Hey, don't tell my wife, Miss Dietitian, that I went to McDonald's, please. This is us right here, safe place. Nine minutes. And I remember thinking, what is the deal? You know? So we, we, we live in this, in this world of convenience, and we don't deal with delayed gratification very well at all. So for the next four weeks in this series, as we begin covering it, we're talking about all these different temptations and, and, and how, we, how we handle those in life. And there's a few things that we're going to tackle, whether it's the big ones or the small ones. I think we're going to find there's some similarities in there. And we're going to find that attacking and handling temptation in our life, uh, no matter what the size of those temptations are, will have some similarities that we can build off of. So, make sure I didn't miss anything here. So, in, in that process, I think what's, what's important, I think right now, when I was going through the study and kind of preparing for this, I had to overcome this thought, the little white lie stuff, the little, the little issues, you know, of like, well, I know that's the rule, but look, Macy, you're 13, but the buffet is 12 and under, and it goes from like 8 bucks to 20 bucks. So you're 12, right? <laughs> you know, those type of things, those, those little things. And she's like, note to self. I got you, Dad. I will, I will use this against you in the future. You know, so, so I had to start thinking through, okay, do I approach life in the same way with the little, little things and the big things? And I think when things come back down to it, it all revolves around do we actually trust God to be who God is? Just like the kids eating the cookies didn't trust the researchers and they ate them, when we make decisions and we fall into temptation, are we really saying, God, I know you want me out of it, but I'm not sure you have something better for me on the other side, so I'm going to go ahead, and, go ahead and, and do this thing now, whatever that may be. So I think that's a challenge for us as, as we dig into this today and in the, in the future weeks. I think one of the issues, too, is in that discussion, trying to connect that idea that we just talked about. Because we're all adults. We've all been through life. We have experiences. We should know better. And I'm going to tell you, we're all just really big kids. We are. We're just, we're just older kids. We still make some of the same mistakes and decisions that we made when we were younger. We just are more aware of them, and we kind of maybe know we, they were right or wrong a little faster than our kids know. But I think one of the issues for us to be able to embrace is the connection of 
these decisions and then our trust in God. And we're going to try to do that through the series and try to show that, that correlation. So he asked the question, what if we could develop a new habit of how we actually entered into that decision-making? I mean, have you ever thought about being in a situation where, where you say, you know, I've got some personal issues and I, I, I cannot, I can't stop. I mean, it's a habit. I can't, I can't stop. You know, I always go to McDonald's every day. Or I'm always online more than I should. Or I don't know, I curse at home all the time when I'm angry. Or whatever it may be. You know, we all have those issues. And I think there's, there's a point where we have to say, all right, we have issues. We're good with that. We're totally good with that. But if we're saying we can't stop, What's, what's the obstacle? What's the issue preventing us from being able to change that behavior, to, to change that opportunity? I think if we begin and we help our kids begin to think through, hey, when I come up to an opportunity that may not be the best for me, a decision, uh, a, a temptation, we'll call it, that may not benefit me, if we can get into a habit of thinking, is this God-honoring? Will it take me away from God? Is this good now, bad later? And not just get caught up in that moment of, oh, I haven't prepared for this. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that, guys, whatever that may be. You know, I, I've, I've, told, I've told students for a long time and all the other churches I've been in and in our youth groups and stuff, I've always made the challenge that, that whatever you do a lot, whatever you spend your time doing is what you're good at, Right? You've probably heard me say it here before, too. I mean, that, that's why there's practice for athletics, two hours a day, five days a week. They're practicing, practicing, practicing to get better at what you do. I mean, it's that way in anything we do in our life, and our spiritual life totally included. The time we spent in the Word or seeking Christ is in direct relation to how we respond to life. If we spend a few minutes a week should we expect a different result of first be able to stand up to Satan and temptation if we haven't prepared ourselves for how to handle that situation? I tell students all the time, I say, look, think about your answer and how you're going to uh, react to a situation before it happens. So when it happens, you, you're already there. You don't have to go through the, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Do I get in the car or do I not get in the car? Do I, whatever that is. And I think as adults, we need to do the same thing in our work, even in our homes, pre begin preparing for that situation so we can respond uh, in, in an intelligent, godly way. So let's see what the Bible has to say about temptation. We're going to hop into uh, Matthew 3. We're going to go 316. I'll give you a second to find that if you want to do that. As you can see, no PowerPoints today. This is real easy and simple. Didn't want to confuse anybody with anything on the screen. So here we are in, in 3. 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. Okay, let's be honest. That's kind of a weird thing if you're there. So you, you know John the Baptist, who's been preparing the way. Jesus comes, he lets him baptize him, and they literally witnesses see the heavens open, a bright light, like the biggest light show you've ever seen, better than fireworks that we can do here on earth. This light comes down, and they recognize it as a dove of peace, right? And they hear 
in 17, they hear God say, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love, and with him I'm well pleased. So they audibly and visually just saw this dramatic thing happen, that God literally just came out and said, I am already happy with my son. He's done everything I need him to do to this point. Ecstatic. Way to go, Jesus. High five it. They're totally into it. People see this and witness this. So that's good. Sounds like a big celebration time. Time for a party. But move over to 4-1. And let's see what happens next. The very next words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Sounds like a party to me. I mean, think about that. Jesus is, has just, just had a celebration from his father and says, hey, man, go get him. Sends him out to be tempted. Now, very clear on this, God does not tempt us. The situations of life on earth, we are going to be in situations where temptation is there. That's what the devil does. That's why he, 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 this is his place. This is, he's the deceiver, the tempter, right? And so what you'll see in verses 2 and 3 as we dig into this in the, in the future is that Jesus has to respond to those temptations. He's prepared. He's already outlining for us that just because you become a Christian and you start following Christ, we're not on the love boat on some cruise. There's a battle out there, and it's coming at us all the time. He didn't give him a week off and say, all right, you ready? You ready to go deal with it? So temptation is out there for us each and every day. And how we choose to respond to that does set the tone for how we, uh, for how, what they're seeing us as, as we respond. You'll see in verse 2 and 3, it, it talks about you know, after 40 days, it says he was hungry. I mean, after 40 minutes, my kids are saying, are we eating again? Right? So there's, there's a temptation for something at home in the pantry at all times, if, if you know what I mean. So we all have that type of similarity. But it all comes back down to trust. Did Jesus trust that God had a plan for him? Did Jesus trust that, on, that getting through that temptation with the devil that there's something better. I feel like he did. If you continue reading, you know. We can trace all of our temptations, everything that comes before us on a daily basis. If you sit down and dissect it and think about it, we can trace all of those to the three temptations that Christ had out in that desert encounter with Satan. There's no excuse. There's no um, there's no situation that we cannot be prepared for or we can get out of because Christ has already given us the path to show us how to do that. So we talked about, what about those things that we said we can't stop, those habits that we can't stop? Um, that's a tough deal. That can be a tough deal. But we're not created to, to stop those on our own. We're not really created to handle temptation on our own. We have to remember, Jesus came not to just save us, not just to take the penalty of our sins away, but to break the chains of sin in our life. 
You see, there's, there's, there's one side of, of being forgiven, right? Thanks, Jesus, I'm forgiven. I'm going to keep going back and doing what I was doing. I'm forgiven. Thank you, buddy. You know, that dance gets really tiring. So Jesus forgave us, but then he says, you know what? The tempter who's here on earth, Satan, he's got these chains on you, but what I have done broke the chains. But you know what happens to us a lot? As humans, adults and children, youth, whoever you are, this is what happens a lot. This is what our life does look like. Jesus, you've come in my life. You've given me that power. I know that I can live in that freedom. You've given me freedom. You've taken me out of jail. You've taken my chains off. You open the gate, and I'm outside living in freedom. Doesn't mean living out here is easy, but I'm living in freedom. And then what do we do? Hey, guys, I can't go do that after the football game tonight. I, I, I can't. I, I know I used to go drinking with you. I don't do that now. Jesus saved me. What's that? I kind of feel alone out here. Um, Jesus, where's everybody else? Right? Um, not, not doing that. Well, you know, I, I, I know I used to drink six of them, I know, but maybe, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that, guys. I'm, I'm not doing it. Just, oh, just, just, just one? You know, it's cool. It's cool. And so, no, but you know I'm a Christian now. I'm not doing that stuff. I'll get you all home tonight. You'll be fine. And before you know it, we just put chains right back on ourselves. Jesus didn't put them on us. They're actually unlocked, but we like putting them on because we're comfortable in this group. Because it's hard at times to be different. It's hard to be separated, even when you do the right thing. And before you know it, you're really far away from your faith. What we were just reading over there is way on the other side of where we're living. As parents, I think we have to be encouragers. We have to guide our youth and let them know, hey, you're not alone over here. And it does put you up a little bit on the spotlight because it's different. But I guarantee you that group over there, there's many in there that wish they could be sitting right here with you too. They just haven't figured it out. They can't break away on their own. They need Christ. And you may be that light to help bring those over. But getting back in it is not, is not going to do that for you. See, when Jesus was in the desert, there's the three areas of temptation, which we'll be going through. There was a legitimate need the devil saw, like in hunger. There was a legitimate need that he wanted him to satisfy in an illegitimate way. It's not going to work. The second issue, temptation, he wanted, he wanted to... To use God and his power for what Jesus wanted to do. All right, God, you've got this plan, but I'm Jesus. I'm down here now. I have some needs. We're going to change some things up. So Satan was trying to, trying to push him in the power struggle. And that happens with us as well. And the third thing was doing the right thing. The temptation was to do the right thing, but at the wrong time, the wrong motivation. See, let's think about how the devil works. Very rarely does he just come out and say, blah, this is bad. No, he saddles up next to you. Hey, you're doing good, you're doing good. Take one step this way, and, we're, and it's good, it's good. He's a deceiver. He deceives us one step at a time, little by little. And that's what he was trying to do with Jesus in the desert. He was trying to take him from a strong foundation and not blow it up 
but just start rocking it a little bit, causing a seed of doubt, a seed of pride, whatever that may be. We all deal with that on a daily basis, at work, in our house, whatever it is. We have a lot of decisions to make. We are put in powerful positions as parents, maybe as managers or whatever that may be. We're put in positions as subordinates that need to obey and follow leadership. But if we don't feel like we agree with that, if we don't feel like they like us, or if we don't feel this or whatever, we're going to kind of do our own thing over here. It's still disobedience. We can cloak it however you want to cloak it. But the temptation to deviate from obedience is just disobedience. Any way you look at it. Our children face that on a daily basis as well. It's a challenge. Think about, think about how, how this works. So let's say you grew up in a home that you were taught that lying was bad. Don't lie. And you took that into your life and you said, uh, I don't like to have friends that are liars. I want to work for a boss that's a liar. I don't like being under a government that's a liar. I don't want to marry someone that's a liar. And then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to change it, to do something, and you lie. Why is that? You don't, it's obvious you don't like lying. But at some point, something in us says, you know what? This is my threshold of that. And yes, I'm lying because I want to get the better parking spot. Or I'm lying because of whatever that may be. It's not really a lie. It's not really a lie, though. It's really not. It's, what is it? It's not the truth, <laughs> but it's not lying, right? So we, we, we go through those all the time. Now, let's think about what that might look like for our, our kids. Let's take a guy, for example. As technology increases, let's take a dude and let's say all of a sudden what he does, he pours his time into technology, into the computer, into online. He's always online, playing games, talking to friends, wherever it may be. He's always, that's what he's doing. Eats dinner, see you guys, I'm going upstairs to do homework and go online. Hey, it's a Saturday, I watch all the games online, or whatever it may be. So everything's online. Before you know it, he's seeing pictures and visuals and, and things of that nature, and his life becomes online, and he disconnects with the world around him. Doesn't realize it. And then when confronted with that imbalance, he's like, uh-uh. It's just, it's a me thing. It's just me. It's just me and, my, me and my computer. I'm not impacting anybody else. See, that's the problem. These temptations that we see, the devil wants us to see it as, as for us only. But there's reverberations, right? The young man doesn't see that he's spending less time with his parents and his brothers and his sisters and friends and activity and whatever it is because he's always online. He doesn't understand he's ruining relationships and prohibiting an opportunity from a social aspect of developing possibly uh, in a very good way for him to prepare for life outside of the home. Let's take a, a female example where there's a young lady that knows it's, it's just easier. It's it's easier to make fun of other girls, you know, to make fun of other people, and she's got the ability to shred people down like you've never seen. Her words are biting. She's good at that. It's easier to do that than to keep her mouth shut and just not tear someone down. So what she does, what she do, 
She's, she's the girl in school that says, hey, you know, well, let me tell you what happened to so-and-so, and embellishes, and the stories get big, and it hurts people. And it, but the thing is, people come to her. They want to hear the gossip. So she's got people all around her at all times. They're taking from her, hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, but not one person confides in her because they don't trust her, and she's actually very alone. She doesn't see that by giving in to the rhetoric that she's putting out, that she's actually killing friendships everywhere and isolating herself right where the devil wants her to be, alone and unprotected. So as we begin to close down and prepare for our groups, some of the things I want you just to be thinking about is that there's always more at risk than what we think. When we think short-sighted, we miss the long-term effects that could be coming up in front of us. Our future is at stake every time we're tempted. I'll give you this example. So, gosh, about 10 years ago, I was on a business trip uh, in Europe. It's the first time I'd ever been to London. Um, I was actually going to Denmark, so I went a day early just to quickly sightsee and then finish my trip. So there I am, totally, totally tired off that flight. I couldn't sleep on the flight. And, you know, the days and nights, they're all different and all that good stuff. And if you know anything about me, I'm not very organized. I just kind of fly with this in my pants a lot of times. So that's what I was doing. So I get to the hotel, I don't know, maybe at, I couldn't tell you, the, the sun was up. I can tell you that much. And I slept for like two hours, and I said, I, I got to go out and just see everything in London I can because I'm flying out the next morning. Cool. So my defenses are down because I'm not really all there, but I'm out walking. I'm going, I'm going to look for the palace because I wanted to see all the guys with the big hats, and I want to take a picture and say I did London and all that good stuff. And this, this strange guy approaches me in the park. He says, excuse me, do you have the time? If you guys know me, I will talk to anybody. That's not always good. And so he says, do you have the time? I was like, yeah, I've got the time. I think, I think I've got the time. I, I'm in a different country. I don't really know the time. And he says, oh, where are you from? I, I hear the, the, the accent. You know, I was like, hey, you know, he's like Australia or, you know, uh, America. And I was like, does that sound that bad? I, don't. I was like, hey, uh, yeah, I'm American. Oh, American, my friend, my friend. And before we know it, we're walking and talking in the park. And so he starts talking. He says, oh, I just love American history. And I was like, hey, I used to teach American history in high school. And oh, great. You know, there's a part of me going, Scott, shut up. I didn't really respond to that one. I hadn't prepared for this encounter. And we start talking and talking and talking. And then, he, and then the guy says, hey, you know, I'm actually an art dealer. And I come and I'm, I'm here buying stuff. And so I'm intrigued. I'm too trusting. I'm, I'm intrigued. And he says, you know, I just spent last night at the casino and look all the money I won. He put it back in his pocket. I was like, great, no big deal. He goes, I just, I just like to wager. He goes, you, 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 want, you, want, you want to bet on something? I was like, man, I don't have luck at all. I'm lucky I'm here. <laughs> you know, I made it off the plane. And uh, he says, oh, no, 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 no problem. He says, he says, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. He says, uh, I, I've always wondered, was JFK a congressman? You know, a, a senator or, 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 or in the House of Representatives. You know, so congressman or House of Re Representative right there. I said, oh, man. I said, uh, man, that's a good one. I 
didn't do well on that particular side of history. Uh, we're walking, and I said, I, I don't know. I really don't know. He goes, hey, you pick one. I'll pick the other, and then we'll go find out, and we'll, we'll just see what happens. Well, that's fine. This is an adventure. Well, I'm in it. So we start walking, and he goes, I think there's a bookstore around the corner over here. I think I passed it coming up out of the hotel. You know, I was like, that's fine. So we're walking, and before we know it, we're across the street, and we're in this bookstore. And part of me is kind of confident. I'm kind of like, I'm going to have this great story to tell when I get home. I just won an extra 20 bucks. I think it's 20 bucks. I don't know what they use over there. And so uh, I, I couldn't wait to get home and, and tell the story. And so we're in the library, this library, bookstore, whatever it was. And he's like, I think we need to look for the autobiography section. I'm like, yeah, that probably sounds right. History, autobiography. Somehow the guy found it pretty quickly. It may be on this side. I think you might be right. We pull it out and open it up, and I can't remember what I, what I picked, but it was the first one that was in there. So he was, he was a senator. And I was like, man, this feels good. And he was in the House of Representatives. He was both. And I was like, oh. And somehow, in my right mind, I should have said, well, we both lose because <laughs> you picked one and I picked one. But he was able to convince me that I lost because I picked the one, and, you know, he was right as well. So I'm like, man, here I am. I'm about to give 20 bucks to a stranger. Part of me was kind of impressed with his deception. I was like, this was a pretty good entertaining situation. So I gave him his 20 bucks, and he says, hey, this is what, this is what I'm going to do for you. I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad. He said, I just bought this clock, um, this antique clock right here, and uh, got it for 40 bucks, but it's like $200. I was just going to go sell it back and whatever, you know, and I, I put had a nice bag. He was like, I just, I just bought it uh, from the show. He was like, I'm just going to give it to you. Thanks, dude, I guess. You know, I was like, great. And part, I just felt defeated, exhilarated at the same time. I remember walking down that street, and I was like, I had to look and see what's in the bag. Sure enough, it was a clock. I was like, hey, this may not be a bad idea. It's supposed to be a 200-year-old clock. Turn it over, and there's a compartment for a battery, a AA battery, and it said made in China. And part of me just giggled and said, man, that was good. That was, that, that was good. And I realized then that my personality, if I don't watch out, I can get myself into situations that could be a lot worse. Well, last point, one of the last points I want to make here is that, you know, temptation is never isolated to just us. There is impact on our families and friends we know. In those conversations, and I don't fully recall them, I had somehow answered a question about how many kids I had and where I lived. And I gave him my stupid address so he could write, send a postcard to say, hope you're doing well. I have that clock. I have a postcard. And we watched our bank account like nobody's business for about two years. <laughs> and I realized I really put ourselves in jeopardy, right, because of, of my weakness. My strength was my weakness. I think we need to be careful of that uh, as parents. And this we're going to close with. We talked about there, there, there are some temptations that will take us away from our faith little by little. And we may take us so far away, it takes years to get back because we get burned and hurt. And when we look back, if we had just known to be prepared to handle them, life could have been very different for all of us. If there's one truth you can walk away from is this. Following Christ is not easy. He's got promises for us that he will uphold of an amazing, great future. But know this. Christ is more 
interested in our holiness than our happiness. Our holiness than our happiness. So many times our decisions and temptations for our immediate gratification of our happiness, and it takes us away from holiness. But what we don't realize is following his holiness, he abounds in happiness. If we can impart that into our children, I think we're one more step closer to helping them navigate this crazy world. Amen? All right. So that's what I have for you right now. Uh, in your groups, uh, I believe Brett put on, on, the, on the YAP the questions for today. I don't know if we have them up on the screen or not. Uh, but if you have anyone in your, in your group that can pull the YAP up for today and go through those questions, I want to challenge you guys, uh, whether it's your first time here or you've been here before, to begin building those relationships and use these groups to be a safe place to, to, to say, you know, I, I do struggle in that. Or, hey, this is something we've done. We've been through that. Maybe I can tell you something that will help you out. This is a, this is a good, safe place for everybody as, we, as we, we, we walk together. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll go in our groups.